Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, 
Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask your blessing upon this moment as we ponder your scripture. Send your spirit into our midst. Help us to let go of those stones that we might cast at others. In Christ's name, amen. You may have noticed a few stones in the pews today. It's not uh, that our cleaning service did an inaccurate or inadequate job of cleaning this week. I'll tell you what to do with those in just a moment. They're nice size stones, aren't they? They're they're just the right size for throwing. Please, Please don't do that while I'm speaking. How big is God's grace? That's more of a statement than a question. How big is God's grace? Man, we know the scriptures proclaim his grace is bigger than we can imagine, but we struggle with believing it in our own lives, don't we? We struggle with appropriating that incredible grace in our lives, and especially we struggle with extending that grace to other people. We struggle with that, don't we? We hang on to our stones. The story of the woman caught in adultery is one of those stories that challenges our thinking about God's grace. It challenges us to think differently about his grace. It challenges us to think like Jesus, not like the religious folks of his day, not like the religious folks of our day. It challenges us to think like a Christian rather than like a robot following some algorithm or rote interpretation of the law, if you will. The woman's guilty. There's no doubt about that. She's guilty. Guilty as sin. The Bible says it's wrong. The law of Moses says it's wrong. That's what it says. That's what the Bible says. But that, well, what does it mean? And what does Jesus say that it means? We are challenged by this passage because the Bible says it's wrong. The Bible says she should be condemned. And yet Jesus says otherwise. (laughs) Jesus doesn't condemn her. This story is one of the best known stories in the Bible, one of the best love stories in the Bible. And yet, did you know that it's not in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible? (laughs) It's not. 
If you looked in your pew Bibles, if you have any modern translation of a Bible, you will see there's a footnote or a bracket or something around this passage telling you that, guess what, this story is not in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible. For John, the earliest manuscripts goes back to about the second century A.D. It's not there. It doesn't appear in John until about the fifth century A.D. And then, interestingly enough, when it does appear in the manuscripts of the early editions of the Bible, it often appears in the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> and so, scholars aren't exactly sure where this belongs, which doesn't mean it doesn't belong. It doesn't mean it's not an authentic story of Jesus. I believe it is for many reasons. It's so right on in terms of describing the political climate of the day. It's so right on when describing Christ's character. It's the epitome of grace. It's the epitome of his divine self, his divine grace, and the epitome of his human self. It's all that we could be, the best we could be as humans. It's the epitome of those things. We know this about the context of this story. We know that Jesus often taught in the area around the temple. Last week when we were talking about the Feast of the Tabernacles, he was teaching around the area of the temple. He did this often. We know that. It's not uncommon. We knew that he, grew, he drew big crowds to watch him teach, to listen to him. And this was a real slap in the face, if you will, of the Pharisees and the religious teachers of the day because Jesus had no authority to teach. He had no credentials. It's a real slap in the face to those folks. They didn't like it. And yet he had this inherent authority. He spoke, quite literally, for God. He had this inherent authority based on what he said and what he did like no one else. And so as he's having this teaching session around the area of the temple, he's rudely interrupted by these scribes, by these Pharisees. They, they drag this woman in there. I, I envision them doing it, dragging her by her hair. It doesn't say that in the text, but I'm sure they didn't do it in a kind and gentle way. They drag her in there in front of this angry crowd and they say, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. The very act. The law says to stone her. Moses says to stone her. In effect, they were saying that, well, all the traditions and customs of the Jewish people, the chosen people of God... The God who you claim is your father says to Stoner, we have a very good excuse for throwing these stones. The Bible says so. We have a very good excuse. Now what do you say, Jesus? The angry crowd was ready to throw they were so ready to cast those stones, weren't they? The Jewish leaders were always trying to trap Jesus. We know that. That's another reason why I believe this is an authentic story, because this is so typical in that regard as well. The woman's guilt was apparently beyond question. She'd been caught in the very act. Jesus knew the law. 
He knew that stoning was the punishment prescribed in the law. And Jesus knew that the Jewish government was really just a puppet government and capital punishment was reserved for the Romans. So either way he answers the question, he loses. If he says not to stone her, he's siding with those sinners again, those wine-bibbers, all those bad people that Jesus was always accused of hanging out with. And If he says to stone her, he's accused of being a zealot by the Roman government. He himself could be guilty of capital punishment, subject to being stoned. He can't win. He can't win. It's the same kind of questions that Jewish authorities were trying to trap Jesus with over and over and over again in the Bible and the scriptures. It's like when they asked him whether we should pay taxes to Caesar. Those same kind of questions. They thought they had him trapped where Jesus could not possibly get out of the trap. I can hear the sarcasm in the Pharisees' statement to Jesus, teacher. Because they didn't believe he was a teacher. <laughs> they didn't. I can hear their sarcasm and I can hear their great pleasure as they're asking that question because they, oh, we, we got him this time. The motivation of those Pharisees was pretty clear to me. They're not at all concerned with purging their society of sin. They're not at all concerned with helping this woman, with rehabilitating this woman, with redeeming this woman. They're really just trying to get Jesus because of his teaching. It's so challenging to them because what he taught about the law was so different than what they taught. Same words, same law, same Bible. <laughs> they were just trying to get Jesus and it didn't matter who they hurt or who they killed in the process. We know that it takes two to tango, right? One might ask what happened to the man involved in this situation. The lowly state of women in that society is pretty apparent in this story, isn't it? It wasn't right, but that's the way it was. Only the woman was considered guilty and they, they didn't care about the man. The Bible says it's wrong. What's Jesus going to say? What happened to the man? The man must have escaped or been released or more likely I think he was probably in that crowd holding a stone. He was probably hanging on to a stone ready to throw it. He wanted to throw that stone perhaps because he realized he was guilty too. Guilty of that same sin. It always helps us to blame somebody else for our sin, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a psychological thing. 
Our psychologist is shaking her head. <laughs> it always helps us feel better to blame somebody else for our sin. Ah. The stones we throw. The stones we throw. Our sins are the stones we throw. I suspect this man was even a Pharisee. I suspect they actually put him up to this to trap this woman, to trap Jesus, rather. He probably was a Pharisee. He probably did this act just to trap her, to trap Jesus. Our sins are the stones we throw, the stones we carry. The stones we carry, even the ones we don't throw, are our premeditated sins. <laughs> They're the ones that we carry just in case. Just in case. They're the weapons that we hold in reserve to hurt others because we have not yet come to grips with our own sins, with our own shortcomings. So we hold on to these stones ready to throw just in case our guilt becomes too great. We gotta throw them. The heartlessness of the captors was just as bad as the woman's sin, I'm convinced of that. It was worse. It was worse than the woman's sin. Can you imagine if our sins were pronounced publicly, dragged before this congregation? Can you imagine that? Whether or not there's stones in the pews that you could throw? <laughs> Just the mental embarrassment of that is cruel. Can you imagine if our sins were pronounced publicly? I saw a movie years ago. It was a Tom Cruise movie called Minority Report. I don't know if any of you remember that one. But it was set in the future. And the premise of the movie was that they had this, it was like 2054, I think, was the year of the movie in theory. So even future from now, but I saw this 20 years ago. The premise of the movie was that they had this police unit called the pre-crime unit. And they used science, genetics, computers, technology, algorithms to predict if someone was going to do something wrong and commit a crime. And then they would arrest them before the crime was committed. <laughs> and in this movie, in this story, Tom Cruise was accused by this pre-crime unit of murdering someone in the future that he'd not even met yet. <laughs> wow. Pre-crime. You see, these stones we carry, they're the pre-crime. They're the sins that we're going to commit. We carry them because it makes it easier for us when that situation, when that opportunity presents itself. They're pre-crime. 
So the woman is now dragged before the men. Now what do you say, Jesus? The text indicates that they continue to prod Jesus. They continue to ask him questions about what he's going to do. And it's almost like he's not listening to them. He stoops down and he starts writing in the dirt. Did you know that this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus is recorded as writing anything? Jesus didn't write a gospel. He didn't leave any letters or anything that we know of. The only thing we know that Jesus wrote was this stuff in the dirt during this event. And we don't know what he said. We don't know what he wrote. (laughs) It's the only thing he wrote. What do you suppose he wrote in that dirt, in that dust? Perhaps he quoted scripture. That was pretty typical of Jesus, wasn't it, when he was tempted in the wilderness? You know, he quoted scripture. The Pharisees had quoted scripture when they were trying to trap him accusing him of not keeping the law of Moses if he allowed this woman to go free. So maybe he threw some scripture right back at him. Who knows? Jesus was good at that. Maybe he originally wrote something in the dirt like that love thy neighbor thing. (laughs) I meant that. (laughs) By the way, that's in Leviticus in the Old Testament. That's where Jesus got that from. <laughs> that, didn't, that saying, love thy neighbor, didn't just happen at the time of Jesus. The Jewish people had that long before the time of Jesus. That was in the law of Moses too, by the way. Love thy neighbor, perhaps he wrote that, I don't know. But apparently this didn't work. It didn't disarm the angry crowd. They continued to question Jesus, and so he bends over and he He stood up, actually, first, after that first writing sequence, and he said, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. No, he didn't quite say that, did he? But he could have said that. (laughs) He could have said that. What he said was, let he or they without sin throw the first stone. And then Jesus bent down and he wrote some more. He kept writing. Again, we don't know what he wrote, but maybe since the first writing exercise didn't seem to work, didn't seem to turn off that angry crowd, maybe he started listing sins. Maybe he started listing sins that the people in the crowd were guilty of. Maybe he listed names of men in that crowd who had known this woman. (laughs) We don't know what he wrote. But after seeing those words, they went away, one by one. It says, beginning with the elders. And Jesus is left alone with this woman. You know, in the end, all of us will be left alone with Jesus. 
every one of us will be left alone with Jesus. And I praise God that his grace is greater than my sin. I praise God. There will be no one to condemn us, no one to cast a stone. I praise God that we can be sure of that this morning. But what about here, now, on this earth? What about right now, in this church, in this community of faith, in our families? Are we still hanging on to these stones? Or are we offering that same incredible grace that God has offered us? Are we forgiving? Are we transforming? Are we healing? The woman in our story was guilty of sin. There's no doubt about it. And while Jesus didn't condemn her, he did tell her to go and stop sinning. Jesus will always bend down to meet us, but he will never stoop to our level. Jesus will always bend down to meet us, but he will never stoop to our level. The woman was guilty of sin. There's no doubt about it. She was guilty of a sexual sin. And you know, it seems to me that sexual sins, particularly in the church, are almost unforgivable. Almost. Seems like they're in a special category of sin, doesn't it? There's still some churches to this day that will not allow a divorced person or a divorced and remarried person to be a pastor or to be a leader in the church. Did you know that? There are still churches to this day that won't allow that. I'm not forgiving sin. I'm not glorifying sin. But particularly sexual sins are things that we just can't have, we just can't, get over that for some reason. It's a special type of sin. And it has been the downfall of some of the greatest people we know, politicians and pastors and people in high-profile positions, people in the Bible like King David, we know that. They've been the downfall of so many. I don't want to minimize sin. Jesus said, go your way. Do not sin again. But I also want to emphasize that if we were to be stoned, Maybe I should back it up to pre-crime. If we were to be found guilty for every sin we did and even every sin we thought, <laughs> we'd be stoned too. We'd be stoned too. Those sins are pre-crimes. The things Jesus wrote in that dirt so long ago would have convicted us just as they did convict those folks and caused them to drop their stones. You know, it's so good that we don't know what Jesus wrote. It's so good. Because now as we're pondering and meditating on this scripture, you see the Holy Spirit can work within us right now and Jesus is writing something in your mind. <laughs> Jesus is writing something in your mind right now. A stone you need to drop. And as this is occurring, we too can let go of our stones. 
If you can't let go of your stones on your own, then give it to God. Lay it on this altar. I'm going to give you a chance to do that in just a few moments after our prayer time. Just as we have been recipients of God's incredible grace, we too must give that grace to others. We're going to say in just a moment, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Today, let's think about that line when we say it. Let's think about it. We too need to extend that grace. God's grace is so greater than we can imagine. Grace is a supernatural thing. Did you know that? You know, justice is something that we can kind of get our heads around as human beings. We can kind of understand justice, tit for tat, eye for an eye, karma, call it what you will. Even mercy is something that we as human beings can kind of get our heads around. But grace, grace, that's a divine thing. You see, the intimacy in which God knows us and still loves us is mind-blowing. God's grace is mind-blowing. Every time I think of this reality, I'm almost brought to tears because I serve a God that loves me anyways, who gives me grace anyways. And you know, grace is distinct to the Christian faith. Did you know that? not putting down any other world religions. But grace is distinct to Christianity. No other religion has this concept of prevenient, divine, pre-crime grace. Yeah, tit for tat, karma, all that stuff, every world religion has that. But no other religion has a God proactively Sending his son to give us grace now and forevermore before we ever sin again. No other religion has that. I praise God for that unique grace that Christ gives us this morning. In the end, we're all going to stand before Jesus Christ alone. Perhaps some will still be holding stones. But I pray that you won't. And I'm going to give you a moment during our prayer time to cast your sins, whatever they are, on those stones and bring them forward and lay them on the altar. Just like I will. This is a big stone. My stone is way bigger than yours in your pews there. It's way bigger. That's because you're much better people than I am. But I'm going to give you a moment to think about what thing you would like to cast on that stone. I originally thought I might put out some magic markers and let you write something on the stone. But I don't want to embarrass you. So, just think about it and pray about it. I, I wrote some things on 
stones. This stone I wrote, COVID. <laughs> We've thrown some stones around COVID, haven't we? Whether to wear a mask or not to wear a mask, blah, blah. Oh my gosh, have we thrown stones around COVID? Let's lay that one on the altar. Mean, mean words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a bunch of nonsense. Words hurt. Mean words. Let's lay that one on the altar. Hate. Whether said or felt or thought. Pre-crime. Hate. Sin. I won't list the sins. Guilt. When we feel guilty, we throw stones at other people. Anger. Who hasn't felt that? Old stuff. (laughs) Old stuff. Stuff we should have forgiven and forgotten long ago. Old stuff. Let's lay that one on the altar. Anxious. Worry. Jesus said don't worry about anything. Trust in me. Let's lay that one on the altar. Shame. Shame is even worse than guilt. Because that's a personal thing. Shame. Let's get rid of that one. Religion. (laughs) There's been a few stones cast about religion, hasn't there? Let's lay that one on the altar. Fear. We throw stones when we're afraid. Doubt. Doubting that God has the grace to forgive you and allow you to forgive others. Doubt. I saved the best one for last. Politics. (laughs) We've thrown some stones around politics, haven't we? Let's put that one there. So during the last hymn, after we say our prayers together, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward and lay your stones, those stones in the pews, bring them forward, lay them on this altar, give them to God, and you can cast on them whatever it is you're struggling with. And when you come forward to do that, you can also take one of these little prayer stones. They're actually made out of metal, but they all have positive statements on them like believe, some have the Lord's Prayer on them, some have the Serenity Prayer on them, some say faith, some say grace, but something to keep in your pocket so that when you're thinking of casting stones, you can reach in there and pull that out and think about something a little more positive, amen? So take one of those with you when you lay your stone on the altar. And now let us pray together our 
printed prayer in the program and on the screen. Dear Jesus, you showed so much grace to the woman caught in adultery. You showed so much grace to us as well. Help us to live in your grace and to offer the same grace to others. Give us the strength to drop the stones we would cast at others. You are the only rock we should carry because the scripture tells us the Lord is my rock and my deliverer. We pray all this in your holy name. And now I offer you a moment of silent prayer. Gracious and holy God, we praise your name. We thank you for loving us despite us not deserving it. We thank you for forgiving us despite us not deserving it. Help us to drop all those stones we would carry that might hurt others. And now we pray together in the name of Jesus who taught us these words, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So during this last hymn, if you... Amen. If you please stand for the benediction. Thank you for bringing those stones forward. The world will be a better place if those stones are not cast. Amen. Amen. Sing this benediction with me. Love like your heart is on fire. Live like your dreams all are true. Do what you can for each other, remembering what he's done for you, remembering what he's done for you. Go in Christ's peace. Amen.